You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. All right. Hey, it's Kevin. And this podcast episode has been a long time in the making because uh, I've been doing a lot of research, a lot of writing on the health dangers of a plant-based diet. And so it's actually about a 10-part series on my blog at kevinstock.io that if you're a reader, uh, I would just tell you to turn this off and go read it because I probably won't be able to speak it as well as I was able to write it. But anyways, I want to talk about some of the overarching concepts that I explored in that 10-part series. And so kind of as an overview, and, and the whole point of the series was, I should just start with this as a groundwork, is there is a great misconception about what is a plant-based diet. Because a plant-based diet versus a whole food plant-based diet these terms are very different. And the fact is the whole world is on a plant-based diet and we don't even realize it because the way we eat our plants have been transformed so much uh, that it's hard to distinguish when we're eating a plant versus uh, what else could it be. So anyways, let me dive into this uh, and I'll get into a little bit more of the, the specifics about that. And so in this series of health dangers of plant-based diet, uh, the first, I'll say, I don't know if it's eight posts or something like that. Uh, we look, I, I mean, I looked in great detail at various plant parts. And so let me give you an example. You know, we have a plant and it has roots, it has uh, stems, it has leaves, it has fruits, it has seeds. And so I take all these plant parts throughout a series of, of blog posts and dissected each of these parts and, and associated them with a specific uh, toxin. So let me give you an example. Uh, so let's just say leaves, okay? So spinach is a kind of leaf, okay? And uh, oxalates are a, are a toxin that tend to be concentrated in spinach leaves. And so in that post, I talked a lot about leaves, I talked about oxalates, potential harm of those, uh, et cetera. So what we did, what I did was uh, I looked at all these plant parts and then I associated them with plant poisons, quote unquote poisons. Uh, and then in the series finale, I just published it recently. Uh, it's called Health Dangers of Plant-Based Foods. If you want to read it, it's, if, if there's one to read, I would read that post. And it is a little bit lengthy, uh, but that's the one to read. And in this post, uh, I zoomed out a little bit further. So in the previous post, we looked in detail at seeds, at roots, at stems, at leaves, at fruits. We looked in detail at potential uh, toxins in these foods and how they cause problems, etc. Uh, and that's and, and those posts have been eye-opening to many. We assume a lot of these vegetables are inherent goods. And when you say, hey, look, there's actually problems with these, uh, it's eye-opening to many people. Uh, but in this series finale post, I really zoomed out and I look at how we transform these plant parts into our modern day food and how they're, how this plant-based diet is really masked. Because when we eat uh, a donut, we don't realize that we're mainly eating plant parts. Uh, so we're going to dive into this and a few things. Uh, let, let me just do a quick recap of 
the specific plant parts and plant poisons if you care to refer to those. Uh, So I started the series off talking about seeds. And I did that because seeds are actually uh, the most prevalent of the plant parts that we eat. And they are the most transformed as well. So I actually broke seeds down into three different posts. Uh, I, I looked at grains. So we actually eat a ton of grains in, in throughout the world, okay, in the modern diet. Uh, and grains are things like corn, wheat, rice. These are grains and those are seeds. And people don't realize, you know, when they're eating these things, like when you're eating corn, you're, you're eating a plant seed, okay? Another kind of seed uh, are nuts. And with the nuts, we really looked at phytic acid. Uh, And so if you're interested in learning more about phytic acid and nuts, I would check that post out. And I I forgot to mention in grains, I really looked at lectins uh, and I looked at gut damage, Uh, leaky gut, intestinal permeability, uh, intestinal permeability, which is basically, you know, what people refer to as leaky gut today. And a lot of problems that stem from that, especially autoimmune issues, chronic systemic inflammation, things like that. that's an important post, grains and lectins. And then the third post that had to do with seeds is beans. Uh, and with so beans are just another kind of seed. Uh, and in particular, we looked at enzyme inhib- inhibitors and endocrine disruptors and saponins. Uh, we looked at the soybean, uh, and it's called soybean sabotage, and why eating soy is just not a good idea for most people. Uh, and then after seeds, we looked at roots, uh, specifically, we looked at potatoes and glycoalkaloids. And then with stems, we looked at broccoli and we looked at glucosinolates. Uh, with the leaves, like I said, we looked at the spinach leaf and oxalates. Uh, and then with fruits, the, the only part of the plant that is actually designed to be eaten, uh, they actually have a number of uh, deterrents in them to prevent uh, herbivores from eating fruit prematurely, uh, and even just eating too much fruit in general and the problems with that. So we looked at phenolics, we looked at cyogenic glycosides, we looked at salicylic, salicylates. Uh, and so those are some of the things we looked at with fruit. And I think we looked at tannins in that one as well. And just as kind of like a, a heads up, we looked at numerous, uh, I'll call them plant poisons, okay, toxins. But it's literally, it was just the tip of the iceberg. There are literally thousands of these phytochemicals that plants produce to avoid being eaten. Uh, I looked at some of the major players, the ones that have actually been researched and, you know, are recognized as harmful. Uh, And so I wrote about those, but literally it's the tip of the iceberg. And there's actually a lot that we don't know. uh, And we know that we don't know it and ongoing research in this area. So anyways, that's in the more specific post. The last one, which is the the series finale, The Health Dangers of Plant-Based Foods, I zoomed out. And by zoomed out, I mean, I wanted to, okay, by zoom in, I mean, we look very specific at the details of these plant poisons, you know, and how they, how they can harm us. By zooming out, I'm like, all right, let's, we, we, we dove into the research. Let's look at the big picture. Uh, And the way I wanted to look at the big picture is I used a framework that we're going to use in this, you know, the rest of this episode here is looking at a 24-hour clock, one day. And by using one day, it helps us put into perspective how rapidly we have transformed our foods that are now just so incongruent with how our bodies are designed. Okay, so we're going to look at 
the evolution of the human diet on a 24 hour one day clock. Okay. And so for the first 23 hours and 55 minutes, uh, at the beginning of that clock is the beginning of the genus homo, um, meaning human. Okay. Homo sapien sapien is a species of human, uh, but throughout human, uh, evolution, there's been numerous species of humans, many that have, uh, that coexist at the same time just so happens at this time in history, Homo sapien is the only species of human that exists. Uh, but before us, there were, there were numerous species that coexisted. Uh, and at the beginning of this clock, uh, we set the, the clock with the start of the human genus. Okay. And so the clock starts with the human genus and the diet we ate at that time was one that transitioned from our hominid primate ancestors, which were herbivores, and the hallmark trait of the human genus is our large brains. And this was facilitated through meat eating, which was made uh, requisite because of climate change and availability of food sources. And I'm not going to go into this this whole you know, uh, concept of what did humans evolve to eat early on. I have a post completely on that. Maybe I'll do a podcast on that as well. Um, but let's just, it's enough to say that at the beginning of this clock, it's very well accepted by archaeologists, paleontologists, people that study this. They're, they're, they don't even debate this. Like there's like general ag agreement that early in human evolution, we became meat eaters or we became obligate meat eaters. And this is what actually facilitated the distinguishing trait of humans, which is our large brains. Okay. And for 23 hours and 55 minutes on this clock, we ate a fairly consistent diet. It was a meat-based diet. Uh, surely it was supplemented with seasonal, occasional fruits, even, <laughs> even more minuscule amounts of other plant-based foods. Uh, maybe some underground storage organs, things like that. Uh, but the whole point of this for 23 hours and 55 minutes of the clock, uh, we ate a meat-based diet. There's even evidence. So, uh, we've done isotope studies of fossil fuels and it shows about, you know, 50,000 years ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure is, uh, this, there's this research that shows our diet, the human diet was nearly indistinguishable from a, a carnivore, a pure carnivore diet. Uh, and if you want to check out the references, I have those all, all linked up on the blog post. Uh, so, but the whole point of this is that for the first 23 hours and 55 minutes of the hu the clock of human diet, we ate a meat-based diet. During that time, we became less and less equipped to eat plant-based foods uh, and various anatomical uh, changes are just evidence for this, such as our shrinking and relatively small colon compared to our ancestors and other things, our highest acid, uh, stomach, things like that. Uh, and so over this 23 hours, 55 minutes, meat-based diet supplemented with some plant-based foods, but it's been a minuscule part of the diet. And undoubtedly there are generations and generations of humans that went completely only on meat uh, lived only on meat because 
the due to the climate glacial periods there would have been literally no plant material that was even you know available to be eaten there have been no seasonal fruits uh and so undoubtedly while humans were opportunistic with uh gathering plant-based foods throughout human evolution uh it became less and less and less and less a part of the human diet uh and we became less and less equipped to eat plant-based foods okay so i think i hammered in on the first 23 hours and 55 minutes enough uh but in the last five minutes of human evolution uh we dramatically changed the the human diet and so and this first change was a result of uh the agricultural revolution i'm going to talk about three reg three revolutions that happened within the last five minutes uh, that really dramatically changed, you know, the way humans live and eat today. And the first one was at the five-minute mark, which was the agricultural revolution. And I, I've read numerous reports that this was literally the biggest downfall of human health in history. Uh, I think we can make an argument for other advancements as well as we go along here. But the agricultural revolution was quite devastating. Uh, so this is the first time where we basically settled and so we went from the hunter gatherers that we were to you settled uh and we completely changed our diet we completely basically completely abandoned the meat-based diet and we went to subsisting on plant-based foods that were rarely or never eaten in human history uh and so your question is like how could we have never eaten these in human history well the fact is through agriculture we transformed these foods uh, in order to make them abundant. Uh, and so, for example, before agriculture, there was virtually no wheat, no corn, no rice, which now makes up, I, I think the latest research shows, over 50% of calories. Uh, something like grains make up, I, I, I think, almost two-thirds of all the calories eaten worldwide. And those three grains in particular, wheat, corn, and rice, make up about 50% of all calories eaten. Like, Five minutes ago in the, in the human evolution clock, we basically did not eat these ever, okay? So the reason is, the reason we started to be able to eat them is that we transformed them from their natural state. So grains, they come from wild grasses. And so in the wild, uh, these grasses, they have grains and there's a few of them per plant. They disperse and fall very easily. Uh, and eating any significant amount of one of these would have been <laughs> would have been basically impossible okay but with agriculture what we did was we selectively breeded them and farmers were able to cultivate these these uh these crops into staple foods and so we went from subsisting on a meat-based diet to subsisting on grains and starchy crops uh so this brought about massive changes in a number of ways uh one is we went from a high protein, high fat diet to a low protein, low fat diet, basically overnight in terms of, of evolution. Uh, and the vitamin and mineral content of these diets were vastly different as well. So I've written on the, on the comparison of vitamins and minerals in meat versus vitamins and minerals and plants. And if you're interested in that, I would, I would recommend just checking out that blog post. Uh, but it goes into, there's a lot of issues uh, with plant-based vitamins and minerals. A lot of it has to do with bioavailability, like they're not, they're not very bioavailable, uh, as well as they come prepackaged with things like phytic acid that, that prevent absorption and things like that. 
and they also come laced in toxins. <laughs> uh, so at this five minute mark, uh, we started to see some real changes in human uh, anatomy and health. So for example, it's clear our brains started shrinking uh, five minutes ago and during this agricultural and it's estimated to uh, the brain has shrank over 10% in this period of time and if you think about it it's not it's shocking but it shouldn't be that shocking okay so meat is the actual the the reason for our massive brain development and when we removed that from the diet and replaced it with plant-based foods uh the fact that our brain shrank is not that uh surprising uh, our stature shrank as well we developed tooth defects bone lesions degenerative conditions all of these things started to take place at the at the at this five minute mark, mark at the onset of the agricultural revolution uh so for the first time really in human history we started exposing ourselves to significant amounts of these natural plant toxins uh from these plant parts that we had not eaten in any significant quantity throughout human evolution okay and on top of that we became we were already uh at the most ill-equipped we'd ever been to eating such foods it's not like at the the one minute mark where we were very where we were more similar to our hominid ancestors uh, and probably better equipped with larger colons uh, to handle these plant-based foods uh, over the 23 hours and 55 minutes we've become since we've become less and less equipped to handle these foods uh, and then we just you know radically transitioned our diet uh, that to mainly to Basically, what we did is we we, uh, we concentrated these toxins to a level that we were just ill-equipped to handle. And we saw basically uh, overnight tra- changes in our health. Our health deteriorated. All right. So this next topic that I need to talk about that I've touched on here that was brought on by the agricultural revolution is... The concept that the dose makes the poison. Okay, and and this is, you've probably heard that because there's a lot of truth in it. Uh, and one way of looking at this is, I'm sorry, I'm reading my notes. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm had a, a loss in train of thought. Uh, but the dose makes the poison. So here during the agricultural revolution, what we did was we took these, natural plant toxins that a healthy human gut if you eat them could handle them no big deal but what we did was we not only just started supplementing them more and more with them they became daily staples we had them for breakfast lunch and dinner uh they became the food that we ate so we took these i'll just call them low level toxins and we didn't concentrate the toxins themselves but we just started eating so much more of it that we the dosage increased so natural plant-based toxin like alkaloids like oxalates like tannins we probably ate these in small quantities no problem throughout human history and even though they're toxic you know the healthy human body the healthy with a healthy gut because it hadn't eaten tons of grains uh could detoxify them without any issues but when we started eating them every meal and not only that but they, they became the staples of our diet uh we increased the toxic load to a new level okay not only that, we started damaging the gut with these grains and it further impaired our ability to deal with these toxins. Okay, 
So all this happened at the five minute mark. We began eating lots of lectins, lots of phytates. Uh, we started eating more enzyme inhibitors. So this is kind of like kicking yourself when you're down. So not only do these plant-based foods have poor nutrition, both in terms of protein and fat, uh, they come with these enzyme inhibitors, which further block the absorption of proteins and fats. For example, lipase inhibitors, tryptase uh, inhibitors, that uh, they're pre they prevent uh, the absorption and block absorption of these vital nutrients. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk about the next revolution. And this next revolution happened within the last second. Okay, so if the agricultural revolution happened at the five minute mark. This happened four minutes and 59 seconds later, uh, the industrial revolution, okay? So the agricultural revolution at the five minute mark was catastrophic. Industrial revolution may have been just as destructive, if not more so. So this is when we really started actually concentrating the toxins. So during the industrial revolution, uh, we invented milling technology so we could strip the bran and the wheat germ away from the grain. And thus, we could create ultra-fine grains. Basically, we now had the ability uh, to create refined flours. And these refined flours became uh, implanted in everything that we ate. Okay, So if we think about it, we took foods that we invented, basically, that were completely novel to the human diet. Uh, that are loaded with anti-nutrients, which we're ill-equipped to eat. And then during the Industrial Revolution, we began refining them, which basically means we began concentrating them. Uh, and so this exponentially increased the amount of toxins in our diet. Okay, So if you think about it, uh, there's uh, let's, let's just use broccoli as an example. It's a silly example. But during the Agricultural Revolution, we started eating broccoli uh for breakfast lunch and dinner okay uh and then during so you know we, we increased the dosage but then during the industrial revolution it's like taking that broccoli and putting it in a blender uh and so instead of eating a pound of broccoli we're able to liquefy that into uh we're, we're able to liquefy five pounds of broccoli into a into a shake at breakfast that's a terrible example but <laughs> Anyways, the point is we began concentrating these toxins uh, through the refining process, okay? So that's other things happened during this uh, during the industrial revolution such as uh, we this, the rise of technology for mass food production, which further reduced uh, fresh foods because during this time refrigeration was not even invented yet. So everything became, uh, just processed food uh, and accompanying this these technologies we saw for the first time uh, the birth of these never seen before health problems things like obesity things like cancer things like heart disease so the industrial revolution took those foods that became staples and then it concentrated them and so it was a it's the start of what's prevalent now is we had we were able to overfeed people 
that were undernourished. And I'll get more to that concept. But let's just talk about this last tech, uh, this last revolution that happened in the last split second of that last second, okay? And that's the technologic revolution. And in the article, I, I refer to these as man-made poisons. Uh, and there's, there's the big three that I'm going to talk about here. Uh, but it is this last split, split second of time that... Uh, the diet really transformed to a diet that is just uh, unnoticeable to what our ancestors to, to what ancestors ancestors would have eaten. And accompanying this, we see like all of these health problems not only arise because they they started arising during the industrial revolution, but they became the new normal. So, if you think about it, with our kids asthma and allergies are almost expected like it's common if someone has asthma or allergies it's we, you don't think anything of it that's like the new normal uh like we think all of our kids so coming from a dentist uh braces are basically almost expected for everyone wisdom teeth expected to be pulled out but if you think about this from a logical perspective we are literally the only primates whose teeth don't fit into their own heads Okay, it's like that. That's not a normal thing. It's the change in our diet that that led to, and I write a whole bunch about this at the on the post. But this change in the diet that really interfered with natural growth. Uh, so, ill <laughs> during this technological revolution, the point that I'm trying to make is that the rise of these health problems were taking place, and now technological revolution really turned them into like the new normal. And, and it, if you begin thinking about it, you see it everywhere. Like even with digestion, we see IBS, indigestion, acid reflux. Like we consider that normal digestion these days. Uh, depression. Uh, I, I, I think the it was and it was, this is one of the most striking things uh, when I was treating pa- uh, patients with sleep apnea. The amount of people on antidepressants was shocking. So I looked into the research, and there, I think a quarter of U.S. adults are on antidepressant medications. It's, it's the it's the new normal. Diabetes is the new normal. Dementia it's considered the new normal. Like if you get old, you're expected. Like it's just, it's not if it's just when. Uh, like it's uh, the new normal. Is it's shocking. Like we expect to have daily fatigue. We expect to have daily brain fog. You know, acne is just a normal part of growing up. Uh, autism has gone through the roof in prevalence. Uh, autoimmune disorders, like these things went from non-existent to commonplace. Osteoporosis, obesity, like this is our new normal and this is what the technological revolution brought along with it. And this new normal, I think we have three big things that I'm not going to say are the most responsible, but maybe that maybe are the most responsible uh, that are causing serious harm. And so I do want to talk about these big three here uh, because I think if, if we wrapped our arms around these big three things, health would, would, would be revolutionized. And the first of the big three things is grains. And this is so huge. Grains are such a big thing because they are the staple, basically the staple foods of the world. Uh, like I mentioned, they make up half the calories. So we can't. If we just got rid of grains. It's like we'd have a we'd have a large issue on our hands. Like, what are people going to eat? 
Uh, but so that's one of the issues is that it is such a staple. And, and then the other issue is, is that this staple food has a lot of problems with it. Okay. And, and the problems stem from everything from the lectins and gut damage, uh, to spraying them with pesticides, insecticides, and fungicides, uh, gluten has gotten a bad rap, I think for a good reason. Uh, but gluten is not the only troublesome lectin, but it is a, it is a troublesome lectin, uh, that does cause gut damage. Uh, but it's, it is a good example. Uh, so I'll just talk about gluten for a second. So gluten, it's a storage protein in grains. Uh, and the purpose is for, of gluten is to nourish the baby seed once it sprouts. Okay. So it's, it's protein for the plant. We take that protein for ourselves. And in some people it triggers a severe attack on the intestinal lot, uh, small, uh, on the lining of the small intestines. Perhaps you've heard of it known as celiac disease. Uh, but in the 1960s and 1970s, I believe, uh, we saw a dramatic increase in the United States in the prevalence of celiac disease. Now, this is the same time that genetic breeding, breed, genetic breeding further transformed wheat. Uh, we'd already transformed it with selective breeding, but we, but we transformed it even further with genetic breeding. Uh, and so basically, if you, if you think of, when people think of grain in their head, they think of the, you know, the four-foot amber waves of grain. Well, th- these are not the common grain today. Like now they are two-foot tall. It's called semi-dwarf wheat. Uh, and, and this was extraordinarily successful. Yields went up, profits went up, uh, but gluten concentration also went up. And not only that, the gluten was fundamentally different. Like genetically, it was different. It was a different molecule. Uh, and so no real surprise that the body has a hard time. It already has a hard time dealing with wheat proteins. They're called prolamins. Uh, but, but when we totally transform it, and the gut really, it, it has no idea. It can't handle these. Uh, so it's really not that shocking that we saw celiacs go up. Uh, you know, really celiacs and gluten sensitivity intolerance is seen on a spectrum more today by most people. It's like celiac disease is on one. It's a severe immediate attack on the small intestines. Uh, but like the sensitivity can, can decrease from less severe, like you eat it and there's problems going on. Maybe it's not killing you immediately. Uh, or what I think is even perhaps, you know, more insidious, which I can get to in a minute is this damage is this damage is damage to your gut is happening below the level of consciousness. So you don't have these symptoms that are associated with celiac disease, but the damage is happening at a low grade level on a continuous basis. And since we eat grains every day, just about every meal, this harm is insidious. Insidious means secretly harmful. It's happening below our level of consciousness. And so someone with celiac disease, you know, they have the, I'll call it fortune to know, Hey, this is, not agreeable with my body, so I'm not going to eat it. Whereas someone that has more of a insidious reaction to gluten, that harm's happening below the level of consciousness. So, you know, it, it, it the harm accumulates over time. And then suddenly, you know, they wake up and they have an autoimmune disorder. Uh, they have chronic systemic inflammation and it's harder to equate the cause because it is hidden. Um, it's, I call it grain pain. <laughs> uh, but it, so if that makes sense, you know, there's more of an a, a insidious effect if, you know, even though you have a lower intolerance to gluten. So 
anyways, grains are, I call it number one on the list of the big three problems because, and another problem with grains is they're now associated with, you know, the quote unquote healthy whole grains. It's like marketing, the marketing department of grains has done a sensational job that people think these are health foods. We think whole wheat and we think health. You know, we think wheat, corn, and rice, we, those are healthy foods, right? Like they're not. <laughs> uh, and I know they make up a massive percentage of the calories eaten throughout the world, but they're just not health foods. Uh, and the real problem is they are, because they're, I mean, they're genetically altered. They're ultra concentrated. We're eating extremely high doses of these foods, meal after meal, day after day. And the dose, if the dose is the poison, like we, the, we're on the poisoning side of that spectrum. We're eating them so much. Okay. Number two on the big three is vegetable oils. Okay. So vegetable oils, and th- th- we just talked about insidious danger, like where their harm is happening below your conscious awareness, where symptoms aren't immediate. Like vegetable oils are a great example of this. So, you know, for millions of years, all fat in the human diet just about was animal fat. Uh, and then at that five minute mark during the agricultural revolution, we switched to a low fat diet. But still during this time, like the fat in the diet was animal fat. It was only during the last split second that industrial vegetable seed oils were invented. So it was literally in the last split second, we replaced the fat in the human diet the natural animal fats with completely new novel source of fat uh, from these plant-based industrialized fats. Okay. And (laughs) so fat is not fat. And I come, I have a, I have a lot of background in uh, physique and bodybuilding and a very popular thing in competition and just diet in general is this concept of if it fits your macros okay so it basically if it says you know if you hit this caloric total with this percentage of fat protein and carbs you're going to get the results you want and short term it is remarkably effective like if you put someone on a on on a, a proper if it fits your macros diet like tell them to hit these calories this protein total this fat total these carb totals, you can get amazing results. And there's plenty of plenty of proof out there. Uh, but it is very short-sighted. And a fat is not a fat is not a fat, okay? Animal fat is different than plant fat. And industrialized, hydrogenized, transformed fats are different than natural, more natural versions of plant fats. Like, it's now known, like, trans fats are one of the most toxic things you can put into your body and so let's just talk about these vegetable seed oils real quick uh so animal fat is much more saturated (laughs) and thanks to good marketing we now equate saturated fat with unhealthy fat which is which is an asinine concept saturated fat is more stable so like if you heat fat saturated fat has is is the most stable it is the least least likely to oxidize whereas uh, plant-based fats are much more unsaturated you may have heard of the term polyunsaturated fatty acids Uh, these are much less stable 
they're much easier to oxidize. Okay, and so what we do is we take these plant seeds and via complex industrial processing, they give us things like vegetable oils, like corn oil, soybean oil, uh, sunflower oils. Uh, further processing, which is hydrogenation, making them actually more saturated with hydrogen atoms. Uh, so yeah, I'm not going to get into the, the molecular structure of fats. If that's something people's interested in, we'll talk about it. But uh, anyways, when we hydro, when we artificially hydrogenate them, that's how we get things like trans fat. But it's how we get these polyunsaturated fatty acids to become solid at room temperature. Okay, it's how we get margarine that to spread nicely on your bread. It's how we get shortening. You know, that's put in baked goods that keep it nice and tender and moist. Uh, these are very this is very unnatural and it's how we get trans fats. And we now know, uh, I, I hope people know like trans fats are one of the worst things you can put in your body. Uh, and the reason is like fat is an essential component of every single cell. Okay. It's vital in things like hormone production, you know, it's vital for vitamin and minerals. Uh, if you think about it, the human brain is roughly 60% fat. Like, so fat is very, very important. And the fat you eat in your diet, believe it or not, that's the fat that gets, that makes up the composition of your cells, of your brain. And so when we're putting in unnatural fats into the body, those are the building blocks that's going to compose your cells. Those are the building blocks that's going to make up your brain, your tissues. Okay. And so, um, when we process these fats, what happen is they get incorporated into the body and they damage cell membranes, they disrupt function, they cause inflammation, uh, and things like trans fats, strongly, strongly, strongly correlated with heart disease, cancer, neurological problems. Uh, the research on that is overwhelming. Uh, the evidence is very strong, okay? The second thing about these vegetable oil fats that I touched on is uh, they're, actually, I didn't touch on this, but I'll touch on the oxidation of them. Uh, so they're easily, easily oxidized. So if you're cooking food, all right, you got to heat it up, cook it in fat, polyunsaturated fatty acids, easily oxidized, uh, saturated fats, not so easily oxidized. Now this is important because, uh, and I, I, I don't know if we should go into free radicals and talk about those right now. I guess, I guess we can keep it very high level easy. Uh, but if, if something is oxidized, what, what, what it means is it turns into a free radical. And a free radical is a molecule with unpaired electrons. And, and this is a very highly reactive molecule, okay? And so if you have this high reactivity it, and you put it in your body, it damages other molecules in the body. And it's, it's actually, it's like a domino chain reaction where one free radical damages another molecule, which then becomes a free radical, which can damage another molecule and just falls down the line. Okay. And so oxidation is bad. Uh, and vegetable oils, vegetable seed oils become oxidized very easily. And they are tricky because when you go buy vegetable oil at the store, you know, it can look fine. It could smell fine and it can be significantly damaged. You know, by the time it smells bad, has a rancid odor, like it's been damaged for a long, long time. And then to top things off, because it's unsaturated, it's oxidized even easier. Okay. So, you know, fried foods are like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> so, so you take an unnatural hydrogenated fat, uh, 
it's high in omega-6. We'll just talk about that in just a second. High in inflammation promoting omega-6 fatty acids. Uh, they're, they're easily oxidized. It's literally like throwing a wrecking ball into your body. Uh, but let's talk about omega-6s. Okay, so uh, the other thing about vegetable seed oil is, and their difference from animal fat, is this omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, now, in the wild, our ancestors, they would have likely eaten a diet with the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6s fairly ba- balanced, probably close to one to one, maybe one to two, one omega-3 to one omega-6 or one omega-3 to two omega-6. Uh, but these are essential fatty acids. Like you have to eat, you need, you have to have both of them. Okay. You have to have omega-3s, you have to have omega-6s, but vegetable seed oils are extremely high in omega-6 where this balance is really thrown off. And so the reason balance is important is, uh, a way to think about this is omega-3 and omega-6 is uh, let's, let's think about it from a, from an inflammation standpoint because that's kind of what I want to talk about. So these fatty acids produce hormone-like signaling po- uh, compounds. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into into this, but let's keep it high level. Uh, they they, produ- they produce these hormone-like signaling compounds. And omega-3s and omega-6 have opposite effects in this process. For example, omega-3s function through a pathway that help decrease inflammation, while those from omega-6 function through pathways that increase inflammation. And the right balance is important. Like, we need inflammation. People that just are like, oh, inflammation is bad. Like, we need inflammation for, you know, wound healing and tissue repair. But what we don't need is chronic systemic inflammation you know that leads to things like pathology like autoimmune disease like irritable bowel syndrome like joint pain uh and vegetable seed oils are very high they skew this balance very high in the omega-6 direction okay so omega-6 like we just talked about they're pro-inflammatory like today uh the 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 average diet the modern standard american diet is eating 10, probably closer to 20 times more omega-6 fatty acids than omega-3s. And we largely have things like corn and soybean oil that are cheap and widespread and in everything uh, to, thank for, to thank for this. So, you know, the omega-3 to omega-6 scale is just very steeply tipped towards inflammation. And there's a lot of research in this area. It's mounting and mounting and mounting. Uh, that shows that when we have this skewed ratio, we see increased incidences in heart disease and cancer. And, you know, especially in neurologic problems, like things like depression, aggression, uh, violent behavior, anxiety. Uh, And if you think about it, again, maybe not all that surprising. Our brain is mainly fat, okay? So when when we're throwing in just the wrong ratio of fatty acids or throwing in oxidized fatty acids when we're throwing in unnatural hydrogenized uh, fats like the building blocks that our body has to make and function are just damaged before it doesn't even have a chance okay so uh, I, I had an, I had a Instagram post recently on you know how how did we get that you know, animal fats are bad and cause heart disease and somehow vegetable seed oils are healthy fats. Like 
maybe that's what hurts me more than anything. Like we have these healthy whole grains and we have these healthy fats, like, and those are the two things that are really like killing us. Uh, but it's, it's the good marketing, uh, you know, that's what it is. So we, we believe these healthy fats, these polyunsaturated fatty acids from plant seeds are healthy. And we believe that, uh, grains are healthy when really these are the, the two things that are just, you know, killing us. But, uh, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that this myth came along was poor research. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to dive into all the problems with research. I am going to talk a lot about that uh, and how we've gotten so many things wrong, how conventional wisdom is, we, we really need to question it and where these ideas came from. Uh, but like I was saying, I, I have a post on Instagram about this guy, Ansel Keys has this famous study that used poor epidemiology, cherry-picked data that gave us saturated fat causes heart disease. And then industry ran with it and it became conventional wisdom that still permeates society today. And it's really sad. Uh, and now it's it's hard to avoid polyunsaturated fats. Uh, it's hard to avoid these artificially hydrogenated fats. Uh, and they're, they're, they could be considered of the most toxic things you can put in your body. Uh, and they're in everything. They're in all baked goods. They're in breads. They're in crackers. They're in chips. They're in peanut butter. They're in pizza. I mean, you name it. Name it. It's loaded in it. Okay. So I probably went off on a little bit longer of a tangent on fats than uh, than I was planning on. But anyways, those are the, of the big three. Those are the two that I like to talk about the most because they are the two things, grains and vegetable seed oils, that people think are healthy and really they are two of the most destructive things. Uh, so I like to harp on those. This third thing, people recognize it's not healthy. We know it. Uh, I perhaps we don't know the extent, uh, and that is sugar. Okay. Now sugar, most of our sugar sucrose comes from sugar cane. We also get sugar from other things, but, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about how actually a lot of sugar is actually from corn. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that here, but sugar is actually very new. Uh, and what I mean by that is it wasn't until the 1900s uh, that the industrial processing and extraction uh, was developed enough that to, for sugar to become any significant part of the diet. Before that, it was uh, very expensive, a luxury just for the wealthy in Europe, basically. Uh, but in the last split second of the last split second, uh, sugar became cheap and it became abundant. And there's numerous reasons for that. One is it's addicting, uh, tastes great. Uh, our brains have evolved to like that sweet taste, which is, you know, another, another story that we could dive into. Uh, but what's shocking is like, we're, we're just eating massive quantities of sugar. It's, uh, I believe 25% of our diet. I think it's 30% of teen diets in America and the United States. Uh, and for 23 hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds, uh, we did, we didn't need any substantial, any amount of sugar like this basically at all. And it creates just, our body is just not designed to deal with this, this, uh, this metabolic stressor. Okay. So basically what we do is every meal, basically almost all our meals that we're eating meal after meal, day after day, we are creating uh, a metabolic panic, especially with sugar grains too, though. 
and what we're doing, we're stressing the panic. Or I'm sorry, we're stressing the pancreas. It's the pancreas on is unleashing insulin to to deal with this catastrophic event of sugar dumping into the blood, uh, and it tries to reestablish homeostatic blood sugar levels. Uh, and then, I mean, and what's really happening is what this is wreaking havoc on human health. Uh, it's dysregulating our metabolic hormones. This insulin roller coaster, you know, cells. I mean. So diabetes is extremely prevalent. Basically, it's our cells saying, I give up. It's like them waving the, you know, the white flag to surrender. Uh, It can no longer take the onslaught. Okay. So I want to talk about sugar. I I don't know where to start with it. Uh, Let's talk about, let's do it like this. All right. Let's talk about the direct damage that sugar causes and then the indirect damage. So directly, it causes damage just by eating it through glycation. So there's just there's things called advanced glyca- advanced glycation end products, which is basically an irreversibly damaged molecule. Uh, it's it's similar to the domino effect of oxidized of oxidized fats and free radicals. Okay, so when a molecule gets glycated, sugar gets added to it. Uh, what what happens is it becomes an advanced glycation end product that can cross-link with other molecules and create a cascade of damage, okay? And glycation is implicit in a number of health problems from diabetes, hypertension, vascular damage, you know, especially aging, dementia, things like that. So glycation is bad. So just having too much sugar is bad in the first place, okay? So it, 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 it causes direct damage through glycation, okay? Uh, it causes a lot of indirect damage, uh, through I, I can call it I'll call it the sugar cycle okay so the human body at any given time has about one teaspoon of sugar in all the blood okay there's only a few cells in the entire body that require any glucose at all and all of this can be made from protein so you don't need to eat an an ounce of sugar you don't need to eat any carbohydrates there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate we have essential fatty acids. We have essential amino acids, fats and proteins. No such thing as essential carbohydrate, okay? Uh, but the sugar cycle that I want to talk about is it's this, it's a cycle of addiction really more than anything. Like when we eat sugar, it lights up the pleasure centers of the brain. It activates the same regions uh, as cocaine. And we see neurochemical changes uh, just like other addictive drugs. So... This, this sugar cycle is vicious, and it goes something like this. So you eat a sugary meal. You drink that, sh- that, that soda, whatever it might be. The body basically panics. The pancreas pumps insulin to get rid of all that blood sugar. Uh, and this insulin, when you have insulin turned on, it basically turns off fat burning. Uh, okay. So shortly, because the, the pancreas just dumped insulin, to get rid of the sugar, it almost always overshoots it because it literally was a panic response. So then you get hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and what that is is if, you know if you've been hangry, that's that's what you're feeling. You know you're craving sugar because you are low, like you are actually you are actually your 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 cells are starving for sugar. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, you know this is where you get brain fog, things like that willpower is basically worthless against this okay 
Uh, and more than anything, you know, your brain has an award association with sugar, which reinforces this behavior. And basically what we get is a never ending cycle of binging cravings and addiction. Okay. And this cycle disrupts hormonal signaling, uh, as well as the, you know, basically natural metabolic pathways. Like you basically can't tap into your fat, uh, because insulin's so high all the time. Okay. So I, I mentioned, uh, we, we transform sugar a lot <laughs> from its natural state in, in, uh, sugar cane, uh, refined white sugar, you know, is bad, but even more recently, I think in 1950s, uh, we invented high fructose corn syrup and really that didn't, it really didn't become widespread until probably the seventies or eighties. And then it was cheap. It was sweeter than regular sugar and it basically infiltrated everything. Sodas, juices, snacks, desserts, syrups, salad dressings, you name it. Fructose, it's in everything. So fructose, you probably know it as fruit sugar, but most of your fructose, you are not getting from fruit. Uh, you're getting it from corn. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, uh, I don't know if we want to go through how it's actually made. That probably puts you to sleep. Uh, but fructose is, is, is horrendous. Okay. Uh, I'm checking out my notes here to see if anything worth saying about fructose besides it's just killing us and killing our children. Um, one of the important things about fructose is glycation. Uh, so fructose glycates far more readily than, than glucose, uh, which basically means that all that glycation, the damage that we talked about from glycation is exponentially worse with fructose. Uh, fructose is very hard on the liver, uh, cause it basically has to detox it just like a toxin, which causes, you know, basically takes up the liver, uh, capacity can cause glucose to build up can cause pancreas to pump more insulin, cause fat to accumulate, cause appetite to get even more dysregulated, hormonal, uh, hormonal system dysfunctioning, etc. cetera. Uh, you can see the cascade. <clears throat> okay. But look, I think I hammered on the big three enough here. Uh, grains, vegetable oils, sugar. I think if we just, if we just recognize those for what they are, people are still going to eat them. We know sugar is bad. We know donuts are bad. People eat them, but to me, it's important that that person that's eating the donut, they know it's unhealthy. So like they're making a conscious decision to be like, all right, I, I know it's unhealthy. I know I'm doing damage to my body, but I'm gonna do it anyways. All right, that's fine. You, you, you decide what you eat. Uh, but what I think is really rough is like a lot of people want to eat healthy. They want to do what's right for their body. Uh, you know, they want to be, they want to have energy. They want to be free of disease. They want longevity and they think eating whole grains, healthy carbohydrates, vegetable oils, healthy fats, like that's the way to do it. And really those are the problems. That's what's making us sick. Luckily, a lot of people are recognized sugars, uh, sugar as being unhealthy and we still eat it by the truckload anyways. Uh, but at least we know it, we know smoking, not so healthy. Those that choose to do it, at least, at least they, at least they know. Okay. Trans fats are getting there. So it's a step in the right direction. Uh, but these are the big three. Uh, and we got a lot of work to do as far as making it more apparent how dangerous these are. All right. I don't want to end this without mentioning, uh, the latest 
greatest technological revolutions, these man-made poisons that are in just about everything. And so I'm going to mention them here. Uh, the reason I mention them here is, man, we just don't know anything about them. And that's actually the scary thing because they're in everything. They're synthetic and we have no idea the damage uh, these food additives are doing. Okay, so if you pick up a box or a bag at the grocery store, you look at the ingredient list. Look, a biochemist doesn't recognize all these ingredients. Uh, we, we just don't know what we're eating. And so in any given processed or, you know, like I said, any bag of food, any box of food, anything that has to be preserved, like these synthetic chemicals have to be added to them. Uh, things like acidity regulators, things like anti-caking agents, things like anti-foaming agents, uh, bulking agents, dyes and food colors to appeal to consumers. Emulsifiers are a big one. I'll talk about emulsifiers here in a second. We got flavor enhancers. We got artificial flavors. We got gelling agents. We got glazing agents. We got stabilizers, artificial sweeteners, which I want to talk about here. Like there's, there's, we got this potentially toxic stew of chemicals that we know very little about what they do on their own, but when we combine them all together and then we, what we combine them into, you know, the human system or we combine them with medication. Like we just don't have any clue what we're throwing down our hatches. Uh, but there is evidence that's growing that these things aren't harmless. Like if we look at artificial sweeteners, uh, <laughs> so the astute observers recognized all the harm that sugar and high fructose corn syrup was doing. So, you know, brilliant people were like, all right, we need artificial sweeteners. All right, check. We got artificial sweeteners. And like in the seventies, uh, there's this one cyclamate, uh, <laughs> it was pulled off the market, uh, because it was causing associated with testi uh, testicular atrophy, cancer, uh, but that did not deter others from trying. We, you know, we got saccharin today. We got aspartame today. These got basically widespread appeal. They're used in all kinds of things. And the evidence is mounting that probably not such a good thing to eat. Uh, you know, aspartame and especially. So it, it's a good example of industry funded uh, studies triumphing over, you know, real science. So there is the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think the aspartame industry, they did a number of studies. I, I can't remember how many, but they showed no ill effects in any of these industries sponsored studies. And then there's independent studies on aspartame and it was well over 90% of them had issues with aspartame. And it's like, this is just the classic how <laughs> it's a classic. You're going to find what you're looking for. Uh, but anyways, we have aspartame on the market. It's associated with things like brain tumors and lymphoma. Uh, but just on with, I mean, just looking at uh, other things like uh, artificial sweeteners impact on, on the brain and energy consumption. Like what we're doing is with an artificial sweetener, you're basically tricking the brain. The brain is expecting calories to come in and they're not coming in. So, Sometimes when you eat something sweet, it accurately reflects energy consumption and sometimes not. And appetite gets dysregulated. Uh, yep. No surprising that we're always hungry. Uh, and there's evidence to show this leads to overeating, more sugar cra cravings, etc.
we got artificial colors and dyes. Man, these things are are questionable. So they're classified as these things called excitotoxins, uh, contribute to hyperactivity. Like there's case studies of doctors successfully treating hyperactivity by just eliminating artificial colorings. Like MSG, which is in a lot of stuff, uh, that's monosodium glutamate. Another excitotoxin widely used as a flavor enhancer. You know, these things, there's, they're just, I haven't read anything like, oh, this is artificial color. This is good for your health. Uh, I, that just doesn't exist. Emulsifiers are funny, are interesting thing just because uh, they're so necessary to create these unnecessary, these unnatural foods. So an emulsifier is basically something that's used to get two things to stick together that that chemically don't want to. Like if you want to get oil and water to mix, uh, that naturally doesn't want to mix. So you got to use something uh, that's going to get them to chemically uh, agree with each other. Okay, so it's kind of like soap. So the way soap works is it's got uh, an end that will connect with water and it's got an end that will connect with fat, uh, hydrophobic, hydrophilic ends. I, I don't think we need to get into the chemistry of it, but it's basically a way to enable two things to, to connect together that normally wouldn't. But anyways, uh, when we're putting like these synthetic chemicals into our foods, uh, like in order to give them a long shelf life, we need to add synthetic emulsifying agents to get it all to stick together. Uh, and there's a good amount of evidence that these are thought to ca- cause damage to the digestive tract, contribute to leaky gut, which is that intestinal permeability. Uh, and like just a case in point, pharmaceutical companies, like they use emulsifiers in their pills in order to help drugs move across the intestinal barrier. Okay. So like we know, <laughs> we know it's not a good thing for your gut. Okay. Um, Food preservatives, like this list goes on and on and on. Uh, things like BHT, especially. Uh, so since we talked about polyunsaturated fatty acids, so BHT is added to help prevent the oxidation of these easily oxidized vegetable oils. Uh, but of course, it's also an endocrine disruptor. It acts like estrogen. It's kind of like the trifecta of damage. Like <laughs> you have these grains and these oils, you want to mix them together. So you have to use this synthetic preservative and just so happens that that acts as an endocrine disruptor. Like that's shocking. You know, what's really scary is <laughs> we, the microbiome is an interesting subject. We're not going to even try and touch on that here. Uh, there's actually, we, we know how much we don't know about it, but what we do know is like, it's an essential part to our health. Uh, and we do, we do know how much we don't know. Like there's a lot we don't know. Anyone that thinks they know a lot about the microbiome is really probably someone that shouldn't listen to. Uh, but anyways, we are readily adding chemicals to our food. These chemicals that are specifically designed to hinder bacteria and other microorganisms. So we, we add those to our food to get, to keep them to preserve, but then we eat, then we eat those foods that, you know, go right into our microbiome. Think about the damage that that's causing. Uh, I don't know if that made sense. So basically I'll just recap it. We're adding things to keep our food from going bad and the things that make our food go bad live in our microbiome. And so when we eat it, you know, just think about what that's doing to our microbiome. It's the same problem with glyphosate. Uh, so glyphosate, also known as Roundup, we spray basically all our crops with it. (laughs) Uh, the problem with glyphosate is the bacteria in our gut, and first of all, there's a lot of problems with glyphosate, but one of the big ones is 
it works because it, it there's this pathway and i'm gonna get, i'm getting way off subject but basically it's extraordinarily disruptive to bacteria especially bacteria that in our in our gut okay i actually have an instagram post specifically on glyphosate uh, if you're interested in learning more about just how Roundup is everywhere and the damage it's causing. All right, so I think I'm getting long-winded on this. Let's see if I can wrap this up somehow. Uh, maybe a couple examples. Like, should I do two examples and then conclude? So two examples of if we look at this full 24-hour day is, uh, you know, soy is a good example. Like, let's just look at the soybean. Okay, let's say you eat, and, and this is really, this is to highlight the the dose makes the poison concept, all right? Let's say you eat a soybean, all right? One soybean, and let's say you have a healthy gut, and this is, and no problems, all right? Your body handles, detoxifies it, no problem, right? Then let's say you're eating soybeans, you know, every day. So now your body's detoxifying on a, co a con continuous basis, uh, but the dosage at any one time is still low enough that you don't recognize any serious ill effects. Well, now let's take those soybeans, excuse me, and let's take those soybeans and let's refine them. Okay, let's 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 apply some of the industrial revolution to it, and let's get soy milk, let's get soy nut butter, let's get you know now we're adding the technological revolution to it too. Soy protein, soybean oil, all of a sudden. We got soybeans hiding, concentrated in all our food. We're eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, eating it day after day. So there's a problem with eating a soybean, okay? And then I go into more into those problems in that on a in that post directly about soybeans. But it's high in anti-nutrients like trypsin inhibitors, phytates, tannins. You know, it's a bioactive compound. Like it, it has isoflavonones and phytoesterols. Uh, and these things have estrogenic pr properties. But then what we do is we take it and we refine it and we concentrate it into these uh, quote-unquote food-like products uh, and we make them everyday staples. So what happens is the dosage inches closer and closer from you know, a dosage of a toxin that we can deal with to a dosage of a poison that we just can't. Uh, and we see hypothyroid effects, we see goiter, we see testosterone and fertility problems, we even see the promotion of breast cancer. So it's like soy is an example of like what we're doing with, you know, all our plant-based foods. I think corn is another good example, perhaps even a better example. So there's a big difference between eating an, an organic ear of corn versus high fructose corn syrup, okay? Extracted from genetically modified corn, okay? There's a big difference. But that said, an ear of corn is quite unnatural itself. Like corn originally is about the size, was about the size of uh, a human little finger, like your little pinky finger. Uh, and the seeds of this wild grass, you know, they would have fell off easy, they dispersed, but we were able to successfully engineer it to give us massive years of corn. Uh, and the seeds cling to the cob so tightly that corn couldn't even exist on its own in the wild anymore. Okay. So although an ear of corn is pretty unnatural, it's not even close to like the other forms of corn that make up so much of our diet. Like today we eat the corn that is steeped. And then we take the starch, we refine the syrup, and we further process it and 
ta-da, we get high fructose corn syrup. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of corn we eat the most of, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough. Uh, so corn, I mean, like soy, it's a good example of what we tend to do with many plant-based foods. Like in the wild, it's relatively scarce, small, low in sugar, uh, basically difficult or impossible to eat in any large quantities. But, you know, if we get smart, we selectively breed it, we genetically modify it, we can change these plant-based foods into unnatural variations of, you know, bigger versions, sweeter versions, higher yield, higher yield versions. Uh, and then, of course, we take it to the next step. We process them. We refine them. We take this low-dose toxin and transform it into a high-dose unnatural breed, uh, like for corn. Just think about it. We take the starch that's made from the endosperm and we use it as a thickening agent. Oh, and it's also the main ingredient in, in biodegradable plastic. Like these things are just very unnatural. <laughs> like we squeeze the germ of corn and get oil and then we fry our food in it that gets further hydrogenated to make margarine. Like these plant-based foods get transformed and transformed and transformed where, you know, now we corn is cereal, corn is snack food, corn is salad dressings, corn is soft drink uh, sweeteners, corn is gum, corn is peanut butter, corn is flour products. And what happens is we eat these end products uh, and it gets obscured that we're eating a plant-based diet, okay? And so maybe that's why fruits and vegetables have the healthy name. Like they're just somehow the industry has been able to <laughs> not make these associate associations. Uh, but really we're all like the world's on a plant-based diet. And yet frequently meat is blamed for the cause of our illnesses. Like the one food that we've eaten for 23 hours and 55 minutes of the 24 hour clock suddenly is the cause of heart disease and cancer and dementia and all the modern diseases of Western uh, civilization. <laughs> all right. So that's where a lot of confusion lies from, you know, this plant-based diet is just hiding in our, in our, in all our food. And you know what? I'm just going to mention this because like, that's where some of the confusion arises from. And a lot of other confusion arises from, uh, from let's see how how should we say this uh there's a big difference between someone on a whole food plant diet who that's eating like unrefined minimally processed plant-based foods from someone that's eating like the refined and processed version of these foods okay now just because it's unrefined it doesn't make it healthy it probably makes it less unhealthy like a toxic dose that the body may be able to handle in low quantities when eaten infrequently so like that's that's why you, if someone switches from a standard American diet to a vegetarian whole food diet and they see improvements, well, guess what? It's not a huge shock. It's like you ditch the worst offenders. Like so, that's where a lot of when you make those comparisons, like there a lot of confusion arises from that. And like you know, research like this is where a lot of confusion arises from. There are so many confounding variables, like their biases, deception. Like health science is not immune to profit motives and popular press incentives. It's not immune from the dogma that's ingrained in government agencies, health organizations. Like this is the dogma that's taught to our professionals who then pass it down and pass it down. It becomes conventional wisdom. And then 
you know, you have your ego on the line. You can't, you have to admit that you're wrong. So these, this, that's a hard thing to do. So these, this conventional, conventional wisdom gets repeated in, you know, quote unquote echo chambers. And like this, this health science, it's not immune to faulty assumptions. It's not immune to poorly done research. The fact is like, there's a lot that we don't know about nutrition and health. Uh, but the fact is also that there's a lot that we can do to improve, uh, improve this, uh, our knowledge of it. Okay. So anyways, let's round this up. Uh, let's see. Eliminating the three biggest offenders is going to go a long way. Get rid of grains, get rid of vegetable oils, get rid of sugar. Soy is probably a close fourth, <laughs> but you know, an amazing thing what happens when you do this. Okay. If you get rid of the big three and you get rid of soy, guess what? You're eating a meat-based diet. Like it's almost like that's, that's becomes the default. Uh, so really, uh, that's, I think the take home message here today. Uh, I'll, I'll end it with this. Like I, I hear good advice, quote unquote, good advice every so often that says, and you've heard it, don't eat anything your grandparents didn't eat or don't eat anything that wasn't around a hundred years ago. Okay. But I think better advice would be is like, all right, let's look at the 24 hour clock. Don't eat anything that was invented or eaten for the first time in the last five minutes. Okay. Like if you did that, only eat what has been eaten for the first 23 hours and 55 minutes of the 24 hours of human evolution. Uh, guess what? You're eating a meat-based diet that's supplemented with, uh, occasional, fruits, occasional plant-based foods. And guess what? These fruits and plant-based foods are like, if you, you can't even find those at the grocery store. They are, they're, they've already been transformed beyond recognition of pre five minutes ago. So basically if you are to eat only the things that were eaten throughout the majority of human evolution, I mean, you just be eat all your only option would be meat. And I'm not, I, and I, just to be fair, I'm going to mention this, like, yes, our meat has, is not immune to the impact of the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution and the technological revolution. Yes. Cows are often grain finished, uh, may not, a lot of our meats are not fed their ideal natural diet that it would have been. And yes, I do think this has an impact on health. Uh, but that impact, which I want to talk about more in a later post is so so minuscule in this big picture that we've been talking about that it's almost not even worth mentioning that said uh eating meat that is raised in its most natural environment you know fish that is not farm raised you know wild caught fish grass-fed meat uh i do think that's better uh but the degree of better and defining better i'm going to save that for another time because most people that stress about it, it's not even worth, it's not even worth it. Like if, you, if you're eating these other unnatural foods that are just so far off, like, uh, you got to rein that in first. Uh, okay. So that is that. Let's see. I will talk more about, uh, meat and as far as it's how it was touched and the impacts of these revolutions, uh, but that I think we're going to need to save for another day. I'll need to get my thoughts in order. Uh, but we do just, I'll just mention it here real quick. We do see like cows, 
that are finished on grain, you know, they have a higher percentage of omega-6 to omega-3s. They have less CLA. They, so there's things that, that we know, like the meat isn't as I'll say as good as it would be on its natural diet. But that difference, we need to talk about how meaningful that is. If it's meaningful based on your goals, based on a whole host of factors, the fact remains a cow that is designed to eat grass is better suited to eat the seed of a grass, i.e. grains than a human. Okay. So they, they are far better equipped to eat those foods that are less uh, congruent with their natural diet than um, us eating those foods, if that makes sense. All right. So let's get on the clock. Like, let's look back at this clock, the 24 hour clock of human evolution. Like literally the alarm should have sounded five minutes ago. Humans health deteriorated, but we ignored it. The sirens should have been sounding a, one second ago with the, uh, with the, uh, <laughs> with the, uh, industrial revolution. My goodness, my brain it's telling me it's time to, to call it. Uh, but we didn't, but we hit snooze again right now with the technological revolution, you know, the sirens are, are going off again. We need to wake up. Uh, hopefully this is, this episode is, a is a small push towards that wake up. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to tuning in again soon. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.